Have you ever wondered why Satan fell in the first place? I mean, there you are. You've got everything. You're hanging out with God. Times are good. And suddenly you get this crazy idea that you're going to rebel. What is going on with that? Hey, I'm Doug Hamm. This is Bible Buzz number 23. We're looking at the question of why did Satan re rebel in the first place? And it's a fair question because he obviously had things pretty good. So what made him decide to uh, throw all that to the side of the road. Well, let's take a look here. I got a little presentation for us. Why Satan fell. It's very significant. Now, what we often hear is that Satan, uh, you know, didn't like God and all that kind of stuff, but I don't really think that's the case. I think the reason that Satan fell is because he didn't want to be a servant. All right, now think about it. Here's Satan, things are good, he is the top dog, and then God makes Adam, all right, and he gives dominion of planet Earth to Adam. It says, you made him a little less than divine, but you crowned him with glory and honor. You gave him dominion over the work of your hands. You put all things under his feet, sheep and cattle, all of them wild creatures of the fields, birds of the sky, fish in the sea, whatever moves through the currents of the oceans. So all of that was given to Adam. Now again, think, you're Satan. God has created you as the greatest of all creatures, and yet now dominion is given to Adam. All right, and this is what I see happening in Ezekiel 28, there it's speaking of Satan. It says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You, be, you corrupted your wisdom on account of your splendor. I threw you down from to the ground. I placed you before kings that they might see you. So now why would he give that up? Well, there was something that he was proud of. There's something that he did not like. There was something that was eating him up from the inside out, and I believe that it was Adam. Now, in God's kingdom, it's all about being a servant. And you see, when Jesus came, he told us that if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And we see this in the way that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So in God's kingdom, the greater serves the lesser. All right, did you get that? The greater serves the lesser. The stronger serves the weaker. The superior serves the inferior. So again, you're Satan, or whatever his name was there at the beginning, probably Halel. Uh, and and here God has now made this thing made out of dust, Adam and his wife Eve. And then God gives all dominion over the planet to Adam, who's made of dirt. And you're Satan. You're made of spirit stuff. And you are the top angel. And suddenly you have to be a servant to someone who is lesser than you. It's starting to not compute in his brain. And again, Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. 
But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So this is the heart and soul of Jesus' kingdom, that we are to serve one another. The greater is supposed to serve the lesser. The husband is supposed to serve the wife. We are to serve each other, and the greater, the stronger, not saying the better, husbands aren't better than wives, but we are first, we are to serve the wife. Okay, and so here Satan, by virtue of God's kingdom, is supposed to be a servant to Adam and Eve. Adam was supposed to serve Eve, and then together they were supposed to serve the animals. Don't worry, I'm, getting not, I'm not getting too green here. But yes, we are supposed to be good stewards of the earth. That was one of the things that God told him to do, and we read that in Psalm chapter 8. And so Satan seems to be rebelling against this. We see again that Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So once again, we see this again and again that God is the servant. He is making himself of no reputation. He's not exalting himself. He has every right to. He is glorious. He is awesome. He is wonderful. He is the creator of all things. And yet, he's willing to become of no reputation and to take the form of a bondservant so that he can serve. He humbles himself. And Satan's kingdom is just the opposite. So really, Satan, because he was created at the highest of all the creatures of God, he would necessarily be required to be the servant of all. He was created as the first and so would need to humble himself to be the slave. Again, if he was the, the greatest of all the angels, it says that the grand position he held as the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, this would then require that he become like a child in humility, according to Matthew 18.4. So the greater his position, the more he would need to humble himself. The more like God he actually was, then the more of a servant he would need to be. And it says, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So this word here, avlata, means iniquity, injustice, or wrongdoing. Essentially, it's to deviate from and hence to do what is opposite of the character of God. So he's doing something that is opposite of the character of God, this avlata, this iniquity, doing something opposite. Well, what is the opposite of God? God is a servant. Sure, God is glorious. He is wonderful. He's amazing. Here's what I think happened. You know, those first couple days, God makes all the angels and Satan's the, the top angel. And he's like, this is pretty cool. God is really awesome. God is amazing. God is glorious. He's worthy of praise. Nobody is as amazing as God. And then God makes Adam. And suddenly, Satan is now supposed to serve Adam. And something isn't computing in his mind. And he says, wait a second. I'm the greatest of all the angels. I'm the greatest of God's creation. 
I'm the greatest of everything that God made, and now I'm supposed to serve someone lesser than me? I'm supposed to serve someone made of dirt when I am so incredibly glorious? And I think that is when he decided that he was not going to serve God anymore. So he really became opposed to, to God's quality of being a servant. And that's the, the general idea of the word Satan is to, to oppose something. And so we see in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. And we also know that there's no greater love than to give your life for another, John 15, 13. Well, obviously, Satan deviated from certain, from serving, uh, which is an expression of God's love. You know, we can talk about loving somebody all day. You can say it, but it's only really proven or it's manifested. It's made real. It's realized or actualized through some form of serving or some form of giving uh, is what uh, we need to demonstrate our love. Otherwise, they're just empty words. So he, he deviated from serving, which is the expression of God's love, and Satan did not want to be a servant. That really is the bottom line. Well, again, who did he need to serve? Well, we're told in Hebrews 1.14, says, Are they, angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Well, this is, of course, going to refer to Adam, because Adam was perfect, and he was without death. He had to exercise his free will, and we know that Adam was still in need of eternal life, and so the angels were created to be a servant to him and his kin. Think about this for a second. Adam did not have eternal life. Now, he, he was not in a state of death. He was perfect, or he was innocent, and he was without death, but he did not have eternal life. That's why God said, hey, look, now man has become like one of us, but you know, lest he stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life, which was also in the midst of the garden, Right. So this tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And there's now a danger that Adam might take it in his fallen state and remain that way forever. So the reason God put the tree of life in the middle of the garden was because Adam needed the tree of life. But he apparently could not do that until he had faced the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I talked about in a previous video. Uh, why did Adam eat that fruit in the first place? So go ahead and check that out. But Adam had to take of the tree of life. So Satan refused to be like God. That's basically what happened. He refused to be like God. Now remember, God, Satan was like God um, externally every way you could possibly imagine. He was so beautiful. He was the perfection of beauty. You know, he kind of he looked at himself in the mirror. He looked at God. He looked at himself in the mirror. And he said, you know, I can't really see any difference. God, me, I'm pretty amazing. And so on the external basis, he was very, very, very much like God. But internally is where he was completely bankrupt. And it says your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So Satan deviated from God's characteristic of serving, which is the expression of love, and he corrupted his wisdom on account of his beauty. So he was so beautiful, 
he was so much like God. I mean, he was the one who had been given the highest qualities possible. Aside from God, I mean, you know, there's God and then there's Satan. You're like, whoa, this guy is good looking. All right. And but the trouble is that he could only see God from the outside. He only wanted to be like God from the outside. That is externally. That is in all of his glory and his his majesty and, and all those amazing external qualities of his light, his fire, etc. Satan was like, oh yeah, this is where it's at. But to truly be like God means that you have to be like God on the inside. And to be like God on the inside is a character decision. Every sentient being, of course, I'm talking about angels and humans, people that have free will, angels and humans, in order to be like God, it's not just to be made in his image, that's pretty cool, and of course in his likeness, but to be in his likeness means that you have the ability to choose and to choose whether you're going to serve God or rebel against God. Now, some people say, well, how do you know that the angels had free will? Well, because they rebelled, that's how. I mean, God didn't make them to rebel. They decided to rebel. It was a choice. And this is what we're reading here in Ezekiel 28. Satan and, of course, the other angels decided to not serve God. And so they decided to leave uh, because they couldn't handle his kingdom. They wouldn't, didn't want to be a servant like God is a servant. You know, when you think about that, how God is a servant, it kind of blows your mind. And that is really at the heart and soul of the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is all about love, and love is manifested or demonstrated or realized by giving and serving. Right? Think about it. God's kingdom is selfless. You could really summarize God kingdoms, God's kingdom in one word, which is giving. And Satan's kingdom, in one word, taking, right? So God is selfless, and Satan is selfish. Those are really the distinctions there between the two kingdoms. So that is pretty much it. I think that is, uh, it explains why Satan decided to fall, why he did not want to be like God. He decided that it was not worth the effort to try to be like God because he was excited about God on the outside, but he didn't want to be that servant on the inside. And that is really what God is all about. That's what his kingdom is all about. And we see, just look around you, uh, look at Satan's kingdom, look at the ways of this world. It's all about taking. It's about, you know, getting more, consuming, 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 whereas God's kingdom is about giving, giving, and giving, and serving. That's what God's all about. So I think the bottom line here is that Satan did not want to be like God. He did not want to serve someone lesser than himself. I think he was okay serving God because God is greater than him. But as soon as Adam came along and, uh, you know, he's kind of like, what? You want me to serve this thing made of dust? You've got to be kidding me. I am amazing. Everybody should be serving me. It should be from the top, uh, you know, the top should be served by the lesser, okay? But whereas God's kingdom says, no, no, no. The, the guy on top is actually going to serve the guy at the bottom. But Satan's kingdom says, no, the guy at the bottom is going to serve the guy on top. 
And so that's essentially what it is. And of course, Jesus came to then help us get, you know, things turned back around so that we would see that the guy on the, the bottom is going to be served by the guy on top. So if you are all glorious and amazing and majestic, etc., then you're expected to be a servant. And when you do that, there, there really is nothing that could ever go wrong. There, there's no hatred. There's no malice. There is no lack because now we're all serving each other. There's great abundance because it's God's kingdom. And we're not trying to take for ourselves, but we're trying to give to others. And that is what Satan rebelled about. Well, thanks for joining me in this Bible Buzz. Make sure to subscribe to my channel. Uh, we're trying to get to uh, 20,000. I know we're going to get there. So with your help, we can get there. And of course, check out the website, douglashamp.com. If you're interested, I have uh, the whole of this teaching in my store. It's the angelic domain of the fall of Satan. You can also check it out in Corrupting the Image or in the Millennium Chronicles. I think you'll enjoy that book. Uh, it's where I pull a lot of these pieces together in a, a story format. So thanks again. Until next time, guys. God bless. All right, uh, Sean Torre asked, when was hell created after Satan was kicked out of heaven? Uh, again, another good question. I'm trying to uh, think how to answer that quickly. Uh, not always easy to answer these questions quickly, but I will again do my best for you guys. I'm going to try to share my screen one more time. I think it's so beneficial. Uh, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It looks like it's going to work this time. Fantastic. All right. So let's start looking at some of the passages that speak about uh, this place that we know or we commonly refer to as hell. Let's go. Let's start in Mark chapter 9. All right. We're going to start with uh, the, the sayings of Jesus. All right. I think it's always a good place to start uh, with Jesus because then we can uh, work our way backwards until we get to uh, kind of an understanding. Okay, so Jesus says in Mark 9.42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble would be better for him. If a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where, notice here's a quote, their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, and he says the same thing, and he quotes again from that same place where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. All right, and he says it again, and he quotes again where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. Now, the word for hell, what is that word? Let's take a look at that in the Greek so that we can have a sense of what that word is all right so here's our english word hell here's our greek word geenan all right geenan is coming from gehena all right which comes from the ben gehinom uh, ben uh, ben gay uh, gay ben hinom excuse me uh gay ben hinom the word gay in hebrew is valley ben means son and hinom is a name and so uh, this is a, a place that became known as Gehenna. And uh, in that place we see in uh, Jeremiah 7.31, we see this. And they have built the high places of Tophet. Um, 
sorry about that. Let me just go back there. And I'm just want to, wanting to put that into uh, Hebrew for you. So we can take a look at that. And they've built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. All right, so here we have it. Begay Ben Hinnom. All right, so Gay Ben Hinnom. This is where this comes from. Uh, and this is also known as Tophet. Tophet, uh, keep that in mind, kind of bookmark the word Tophet from uh, just really quick. And what were they doing there? They're burning their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. This is what they were doing there. They're doing these terrible, terrible things. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no longer be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, Gay ben Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. Wow. All right. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's now go to Isaiah chapter 30. Um, 30, 30, okay, verse 31, and uh, we have um, this verse 33, all right, the, the context here is that God is giving a, uh, a prediction, a declaration over what is going to happen to uh, a, a certain king, I would argue, I don't have time to go into all the detail, but I would argue that this king is in fact the same king who is over Babylon, that same king is, in fact, Satan, all right, for lack of a better word. And so here comes the Lord burning with his anger, and his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, his tongue like a devouring fire. All right, so this is a general description of what it looks like when Jesus comes back. His breath is like an overflowing stream, which reaches up to the neck, neck to sift the nations with the sieve of futility, etc., and so then uh, the, the Lord will come. He uh, uh, showed the descent of his arm with the indignation of his anger and the flame of a devouring fire. This is an amazing description of when Jesus comes back. And it says here, he's going to beat down uh, for the, through the voice of the Lord, a seer will be beaten down and he, as he strikes with the rod. And then we finally come to verse 33. For Tophet was established of old. So we saw that Tophet and Gehenna are the same place, right? We saw that. That Gehenna and Tophet are the same place. That was in Jeremiah 7, uh, 31. So for Tophet was established of old. Now, wait a second. Tophet was established of old. Now, we're only in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is writing somewhere between uh, 750 to roughly 7, uh, 710, somewhere in there. Um, and Tophet was established of old. Hmm. Now that's interesting. Okay. So what does that mean exactly? Uh, I would suggest that, that uh, this is uh, much more than just a couple hundred years. This is something uh, much, much older. And he goes on to say, yes, for the king, it is prepared. Well, what's prepared? Tophet, this place of slaughter, this place uh, no, also known as Gehenna, was prepared uh, for the king and it's prepared, he has made it deep and large. Its pyre is fire with much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, kindles it. So this place is very similar to, or I should say it's not similar to, but what is kindling this place? Where is this fire coming from? It's coming from the breath of the Lord. Like a stream of brimstone is what is lighting it up. Well, where do we see this? We see this in Daniel chapter 7. 
It says, uh, Daniel sees this incredible description of the Ancient of Days. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words, which the horn was speaking, probably a reference to the Antichrist. I watched, I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. That's exactly what is going to happen in Revelation chapter uh, 19. We see this. The beast was captured, and these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. That's the same place, all right? And this, what is this place that we're talking about? It's this place known as Gehenna. It's known as Tophet. It was prepared for Satan and his angels. I'm going to uh, cruise over to Matthew chapter 25 really quick here. Actually, I forget. It's uh, Let's see here. So when the Son of Man returns, uh, we're going to see when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, right? We know what happens to the sheep. They get to come on in. Uh, we, My Lord, because when I was hungry, you, you helped me, etc., and then he says to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. So I, would, again, would suggest that the king that was prepared for the king, that Tophet was prepared for the king, that we saw in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 33, is a reference to the devil, to Satan, um, you know, whatever other name you want to think of him for him. But let's call him the devil or Satan that that place was prepared for him. Now, all right, bookmark this. Okay, there, again, there's a lot to this. So it's not one of those simple uh, doctrines that we can just you know quickly look at and uh, be done with it. But we have to take a look at all the, the different pieces to understand the context of what Jesus was saying in Mark chapter 9. So in Isaiah 66, Verse 23, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Notice here, and they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. Wow. All right. So uh, here we have the word uh, piglim or pigle, pigle hanashim, and, and uh, a, a this word here, as we can take a look, all right, pegel is a corpse, a carpus, carpus, a monument, a stella, the corpse of a man. So a corpse, a carcass, this thing is dead. All right. So th these bodies here are not living people. They're dead people, like dead with no life in them. All right. And, and these corpses of the men who've transgressed against me, and it's the worm that does not die, and the fire is not quenched. But we're not told that they are conscious. We're not told that they are in agony, that they're being um, they're being burned continually, but just that their corpses are there. And it's of course it's not a very nice experience, uh, but but there's no conscious spirit within these people. So the question again uh, concerning Satan, uh, hell, when was this established 
um, was hell created after Satan was kicked out of heaven? Yes, I would suggest that was the case. That essentially what happened to Satan is that he um, was either a a, uh, a kruv, as one of the kruvim, the, the cherubim, or he was a seraph, or maybe both, if, as we kind of speculated here. But um, he had fire in him. And that fire was taken away. We, we already looked at, in this segment, we looked at Ezekiel chapter 1, and we saw that these Kruvim, that they're fiery, right? They have this fire in and around them. And this fire was taken out. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 28. So in Ezekiel chapter 28, God says, You are the anointed cherub who covers. You walked on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones so there's some kind of fire that is associated with Satan this is before he falls uh, you were perfect in all the ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you and then he says uh, uh, that by the abundance of your I would say slandering the text says trading but that's another discussion you became filled with violence within and you sin therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you oh covering cherub from the midst of the fiery stones. The fiery stones seems to be a reference to the cherubim described in Ezekiel chapter 1. And he says, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, your crypted wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground and laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. And notice here in verse 18, You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. Therefore I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. So he took the fire that was part of Satan's makeup and he took it out. He took it out. So now Satan and fire don't seem to mix too well. But when he first created him, fire was part of his makeup. In other words, he could be in God's presence because we're told that God is a consuming fire. And to be in his presence is to be in his fire. How do we know this? Well, let's go to 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul tells us, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Hmm. So when we stand in God's presence, we're going to be standing in his fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So we will be there too, right? If anyone's work which he's built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. It's so as through fire. We're going to be in God's fire. That's really that simple. We are going to be in God's fire. We're told that the angels are ministering spirits of fire. We're told that God is a spirit of fire. Uh, and I take that very literally that there really is fire coming out from God. And so to be in his presence in a fallen state means that you do not have your fire suit on. You do not have a body that is compatible with fire. And Satan is currently not compatible with fire. So God then created this place called Tophet or uh, uh, Gehenna, and that is Satan's ultimate destination. And it will not bode well for him because he does not mix with fire like he used to. So God created that place after he fell, not before. Uh, he did that as a response to Satan's fall. 
not um, not before. And we saw that in Isaiah chapter 30, that it was prepared for the king from the days of old. It was prepared for Satan. 